can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. This episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Sonos. For the first time ever, Sonos is offering listeners of the Slash Filmcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. Use the promo code FILMCAST10, that's capital F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-10 at Sonos.com to receive this exclusive offer. This episode is also brought to you by Bombfell. Go to bombfell.com slash filmcast and get $25 off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash filmcast for $25 off. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... Devinder Hardwire and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show everyone. What we're going to do here on today's podcast is we are going to announce the winners of last week's contest for the Big Sick Blu-ray. Uh, we're going to talk about some of what we've been watching, and then we're going to move on into some film news. Uh, really, actually, TV news this week. We're just going to talk about the Emmys and what we thought of the winners and the ceremony, that kind of stuff, uh, before concluding with an in-depth review of Mother. So, no, no, Dave. It yeah? has an exclamation point at the end. Oh, yeah. Mother? Mother? <laughs> like a, like American, uh, like Arrested Development. Mother! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly in that tone. Um, but yeah, that's uh, what we got on tap for you guys today. Find more episodes of this show at SlashFilmCast.com. You can email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Uh, before we get started, I want to give a shout out to Harry Dean Stanton, one of the greatest character actors of all time, uh, recently passed away uh, at the age of 91. Truly a titan. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have any favorite Harry Dean Stanton performances or uh, movies that he was in? Well, I mean, for me, I grew up loving him in Alien, but personally, I'm just so glad that he got to be back in Twin Peaks, you know, yeah. like that, just replaying that role. Um, he brought a I, lot I of uh, kind really... of ten- tenderness to to that mm-hmm. character in a, mm-hmm. a show that didn't have much tenderness in it, in, in, from my perspective. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, always glad to see his face. Yeah. Love him. Totally. Yeah. He was always solid. Uh, you know, he, he could he could win a, a grizzled contest with anybody. And uh, man, what a what an awesome force in film and TV. Totally. Sad, sad to see him go. Totally. Last week, we gave you the opportunity to win one of three Blu-rays for The Big Sick, uh, the new film uh, by Kumail Nanjiani and his wife Emily Gordon. Uh, it was one of the big hits of the summer uh, and a romantic comedy that I think will stand the test of time. Uh, dozens of you entered, and we asked you to email into slashfilmcast.gmail.com with your stories of the worst date 
uh, you ever had that was related to movies somehow? Either date, significant other, uh, your worst movie-going experience with a date or significant other. Uh, and boy, you guys emailed in some pretty crazy stories. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's some there's some gems in there, man. So I'm gonna read some of them uh, for your pleasure. But before I do that, I just want to announce who the winners are: Doug Schumer or Schomer, Furzan Uddin. And Jerry from Orlando, Florida. So the the winners are Doug Schumer, S H O E M E R. Nailed it. Nailed, sure. it. Nailed it. Thanks, Jeff. Furzan Uddin and Jerry from Orlando, Florida. Uh, email slashfilmcast at gmail.com with your mailing address, please, as soon as possible. And we'll get those Blu rays out to you. But I, I got to read you guys some of these. Uh, some of these entries into the contest. This one comes in from Doug, who's one of the winners. Doug writes in. I saw I Love You Man in a theater with some friends and adored it, but my wife did not see it with me. When it came out on DVD, I could not wait to show it to her. At that time, our youngest son was only five, so finding time to watch the movie was tough. One night, we got Henry to bed and settled in to watch the DVD in our bedroom. I was so excited to share this great film with my wife, who loves movies. A little bit into the movie, right around when Sydney shows Peter his man cave for the first time, uh, so a key scene, our son came tearing into our bedroom yelling, I don't feel well. And proceeded to projectile vomit all over me and my side of the bed. Oh, no! <laughs> Instead of showing the care and concern a good father should have, I screamed at him, What the hell are you doing? You ran right past the bedroom to throw up on me? That is unacceptable. My wife, of course, was horrified at how I was behaving, immediately left the room to care for our sick child, leaving me to sadly turn off the DVD and spend the rest of the night alone with my thoughts. It was easily... <laughs> It was easily the biggest fight my wife and I have ever had, and a point in my life I am far from proud of. It was many years before she finally got to see the movie. End quote. That comes in from I Doug. He was going to say, it left me alone with my vomit. <laughs> <laughs> that one comes in from Doug, and yeah, uh, you know, Jeff, I thought I'd ask that question. Has uh, you, you have a son, Jack, right, who recently had his indeed. first birthday, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, he's, he's one year old, walking, just a couple of words now here and there. He's a uh, yeah, bundle of joy slash anxiety. Has he ever projectile vomited on you during a key movie watching experience? No, um, he's not around when the television is on. Uh, we're doing no screens oh, wow. until after two, at least. Um, so there's that. But also, I'm very fortunate. Knock on every piece of wood that's around me. Um, that he has not had any kind of projectile vomit episode. I mean, every kid throws up when they're infants, you know, but, but there hasn't been any kind of projection. Um, he did poop in the bathtub once and that's, that's a whole different story. <laughs> uh, well, glad to hear that, uh, you haven't got vomit all over yourself during a screening. If I love you, man, like Doug did, but, uh, fortunately to ease his pain, he's going to be receiving a Blu-ray copy of the big sick. Uh, Jerry from Orlando, Florida, wrote this. I like how I liked how he worked in the sick into the qu- equation too. That <laughs> was, was very that's good. Extra credit points. Good extra job. credit. That was very good. Jerry from Orlando, Florida, writes in with this story. The year was 2010. It was February, and I was in seventh grade. I was chubby. I looked like Ben from the movie It, and I thought that. Uh, and I'm just going to change the name here. Uh, Elizabeth Lucas was one of the most wonderful girls in my science class. I decided that I wanted to ask her out by asking her to be my Valentine and to take her to the movies that weekend. I asked my mom to help me do it, and my mom, being incredible and a graphic designer, she got me a teddy bear that was holding a heart. She wrote Lisa's name on the heart. I thought this was the best idea ever. 
Thursday, February 11th, I brought her the teddy bear and asked her to go to the movies with me on Sunday night, to which she responded with an enthusiastic yes and thought the teddy bear was a lovely gift. Sunday rolls around, February 14th, 2010, and I thought to myself, what better film to watch on Valentine's Day than Valentine's Day? You know, that terrible movie with Taylor Swift and Taylor Lautner. (laughs) We get there, I get popcorn for us and some drinks, and we head inside. Everything started out perfectly. So we're sitting there, my arm around her shoulder, and the movie's about halfway in. Suddenly, she pulls out her phone and begins to write a text message. I decide to let it slide since this is our first date, and I really liked her. As soon as she sends the text, she puts her phone away, and my phone suddenly vibrates. I take it out and see that I just received a text from, you guessed it, Elizabeth Lucas. The text read along the lines of, You're very sweet, and I'm sorry, but I don't want to go out with you or be your girlfriend. (laughs) Just as this happens, two characters are making out in the film. I slowly put away my phone, retract my arm, and walk out to the restroom. I was so frustrated that I called my mom to pick me up. I went back inside only to find that she had moved to another seat. I waved goodbye and left. Ever since that day, I've always turned my phone off in the movie theater when I go on a date. <laughs> End quote. Oh, man. That, uh, I guess that's, I, I guess, no is words. that better? Yeah, no word. That is than, a brutal story. <laughs> is that better than leaning over and, and going, I don't want to be your girlfriend? What? I don't want to be your girlfriend. Yeah. What? I don't want to be, you know, is that, is that the, <laughs> what she was trying to avoid, I guess? Yeah. I don't know. Tough, tough call on that one. Tough call. Not, not sure what the right thing to do was, but uh, our heart breaks for you, Jerry. We the definitely... good news is if there has to be a movie that's ruined for you forever. Yes. Might as well be Valentine's Day. Might as well be Valentine's Day. Might as well be Valentine's Day. Uh, I'm also going to read an entry from someone who uh, entered the contest but did not win. Uh, And this is actually my favorite entry, but the reason it didn't win is because this guy actually entered our Fast 8 contest and won that one. Anyway, tough luck, but this one comes in from Mahesh K. Uh, Mahesh K writes in, uh, My worst theater experience with a date is pretty simple. I was out with some buddies from high school a few years ago to watch the highly acclaimed indie horror film Saw. I'm a horror lover, and we all decided to go see it. The group of friends included a few high school bros and a few girls, including the one that I was sort of crushing on, and vice versa, as it turns out. Right off the bat, we get into a semi-packed theater with popcorns and sodas in hand. I make sure to sit beside the right person, if you know what I mean, and the movie starts. It's going well, a few groans of disgust at some of the scenes, but nothing too intense, and it's a roller coaster of a good time. Then the last few minutes approach, and this is where things go horribly wrong. Spoilers for Saw coming, just in case you haven't seen the movie yet. (laughs) We get to the part where Dr. Gordon goes nuts and starts cutting off his foot. I start hooting and hollering with glee. However, the girl I was with couldn't take it and gets super queasy. Just as I'm about to reach the handful of popcorn, she uses the bag as a sick bag, yup, with my hand still inside it. (laughs) I immediately give it to her and scramble to find napkins. Despite the horrible stench, I stick my hand underneath the seat to control the smell and force myself to watch the final scenes of the film, as I've heard the ending is epic. I wait for the twist ending in anticipation, <laughs> bracing myself for the awesomeness, and then the projector shuts off. <laughs> That's right. The theater's projector messed up, and we were not able to witness the end of the movie. We spent an extra 30 to 45 minutes while the technicians try to fix it, meaning an extra 30 to 45 minutes where my hand is covered in vomit. I foolishly didn't go to the bathroom as I feared the projector would start right up and I'd miss the ending. 
Finally, they announced the projector was dead. The screening was over, and they'd give us vouchers to use at any future show. I rushed to the bathroom to wash my hands, and at the end of the day, no one knew what happened besides the girl. Uh, anyway, Aww. all in all, that's like it, a real life saw experiment. <laughs> saw torture session. It's amazing. It's so true. What are you willing to do, kid? <laughs> instead of though, it's like the opposite. It's like instead of trying to get out of that situation, what are you yeah. willing to do to stay in the situation? Right. Yep. Yep. Right, the movie right. could turn back on at any moment. You, you gonna go? You gonna go wash that hand? <laughs> I love it. That is oh, a lot man. of de- dedication to the movie Saw, which uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't think history has been kind to as a groundbreaking horror indie film. Uh, simply because of all the sequels that kind of ran that franchise into the ground. But, hey, man, you know, I get it. I, I get it. You know, place yourself back at the time when the first Saw movie came out. Maybe, like, this whole Jigsaw thing was new, you know? Maybe you didn't want to miss it, right? I don't yeah. understand how the girl loses her lunch, <laughs> and then she's just cool to stay there. Like, there's no... Right. No, she's very mortified, too. Yeah, like, like there's a bad like, situation all around. I feel like in that moment, everything changes, and now we have to deal with <laughs> The fact that you just threw up. Hey, Peter, <laughs> I married her. <laughs> uh, well, sorry you didn't win, Mahesh, but that was an incredible story, and we hope that uh, you're enjoying that Fate of the Furious Blu-ray that you got from the other contests that you uh, you entered in. Um, but anyway, thanks to everyone for writing in your stories uh, to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, they were heartbreaking and hilarious to behold. And uh, again, Doug, Furzan, and Jerry, you guys are going to be getting big, sick Blu-rays once you send me your address at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Do do you guys have any quick, terrible movie stories to share? Because I I have one that I'll always go back to. Go for it. Give it to us, Andrew. I I saw uh, Insomnia in the theater um, with two friends of mine from high school. So I was like in between college and was driving uh, my parents' car parked up right next to the theater uh, had a great time, loved that movie, and walk out, and my car was broken into. Oh guys. no! Yeah, the like the um, what do you call it? The hood was up, and they disconnected the alarm, stole the radio, stole like all the stuff from within the car, all the electronics and stuff. Uh, the car was parked right next to the theater, guys. Like not not like far away in the parking lot it was right there it was literally it it was touching like theater ground or touching theater (laughs) property basically and uh so i was a little dumbfounded because there were also no other there was like nobody else in the parking lot it was just my car pretty much and the security guard rolls up eventually i flag him down i was like did you see anything what's going on and he just gives me like an emoji shrug so (laughs) that that was amazing like do your job guy but yeah that's how i'll always remember insomnia I'm sorry to hear that. You know, it reminds me of this time when uh, – so The Primary Instinct, the movie I directed with Steven Tobolowsky, uh, I, it's a concert film. And I filmed it at the Moore Theater in Seattle. And uh, I invited a bunch of my friends from Seattle to come see it. And one of my friends got their car broken into during the concert. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. And I felt really bad. I felt like somehow responsible for that because they wouldn't have been there if it weren't for me. But, yeah, <laughs> it sucks uh, when a car prowl happens. Hide, like, hide your bags. Hide, hide everything, people, when you yeah. park anywhere, really. Indeed. All right. Well, anyway, thanks again for your entries. Uh, and The Big Sick is out on Blu-ray, uh, I believe, today, actually, if you, as we're recording this. So it should be out on Blu-ray. It's a great film. Check it out on Blu-ray if you haven't yet. Uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. Devinder Hardware, you've been watching a few things. Take us through it. Yeah, a couple of things. I saw Ingrid Goes West uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. I just forgot to talk about it. And this is the Aubrey Plaza and Elizabeth Olsen movie um, that's really about 
like social media obsession. Aubrey Plaza plays a girl who um, is a little, a lot obsessive, and she ends up uh, obsessing over an Instagram celebrity played by Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, she ends up moving across the country and just like stalking her and trying to befriend her. And I just really enjoyed this film. It is, it's a bit of a dark comedy because things get pretty real and a little violent at times and really messed up. Uh, but it's, uh, it's interesting. And I think it, you know, is trying to comment on our social media obsessed society uh, in interesting ways. And it's a great role for Aubrey Plaza too. Like I, I'd much rather see her in films like this rather than like Mike and Dave need wedding dates or something uh, really plays to her strengths as a comedic actress and also somebody who plays unhinged pretty well too. So definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's funny. It is messed up. So I can't say if it's a great date movie uh, unless you and your date both enjoy slightly messed up dark comedies. But if you do, it's a really good one. All right. Well, that's Ingrid Goes West. It's available right now in limited release. Uh, and it's being distributed by Neon, which is a relatively mm-hmm. new distribution company. Uh, anyway, let's move on. What else have you been watching this week, Devendra? Oh, I saw the first two episodes of Top of the Lake, China Girl. And this is the second season of the Jane Campion series. Um, I forget which channel this is on, actually, because uh, I'm just watching on Hulu. It is it's a channel that's really hard to get. I think it may, it's Sundance, I believe. Um, most people don't have this. You have to have like the super cable package. But it is also all the episodes are on Hulu right now. Uh, it is a direct continuation of the first season, which I really enjoyed. Um, it does help having seen those episodes, um, because it, it kind of builds on some of that plot. Uh, but yeah, it stars, um, Elizabeth Moss as an Australian, uh, police detective who is, she finds the body of a young girl and the entire season is about her trying to work through that. But just like the first season, there's a lot more going on. There's a lot of texture here, um, like I, I think this show more than any other show really does a good job of just giving us a sense of place. And this one moves from New Zealand uh, to Sydney. So you get the like grittiness of an Australian city and you get to see like the sexism that's around there too. Um, the season's all about uh, the underground sex trade there, uh, especially involving Asian women. So that's kind of the big thing going on. Um, really enjoy it as a detective story. It goes deeper into Elizabeth Moss's character and this show has a portrayal of internet nerds that's not just nerds, but like internet trolls, right? The 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 Reddit folks, the people who the really big men's right activist folks, like that that type of internet person, uh, it portrays them in a way that feels so accurate and chilling and gross that uh yeah, it makes my skin crawl. Uh so yeah, this this show is doing really interesting things, and yeah, I think it has a lot to say, just like uh, the first one. That's Top of the Lake season two, and uh, you're watching it on Hulu, right, Devendra? Yeah. You know, you you bring up a couple of things that that you know that reminds me of what you just talked about, Top of the Lake season two. Uh, reminds me of Homeland season. I want to say six was the most recent one, right? Mm-hmm. Homeland season six so. on Showtime, yeah. uh, and that was a season of Homeland that. <laughs> Could not keep up with reality. Uh, there was yeah, a major. Yeah. There was a major subplot in Homeland. So I'll just say, like I, uh, I was already subscribing to Showtime because I was doing a Twin Peaks podcast, and so I thought, hey, might as well just marathon Homeland season six because I had actually watched every season until then, and uh, I did that recently in the last couple months, and uh, I just thought it could not keep up with reality. There was a major subplot that <laughs> featured uh, an Alex Jones type 
character who is not as extreme as the real Alex Jones, A, and B, he's running this uh, kind of massive counterintelligence operation uh, where mm-hmm. he hires like hundreds of people to serve as Twitter sock puppets to to bolster uh, you know conservative viewpoints on Twitter and Facebook, um, and I think. You know, in the absence of all this crazy stuff going on in reality, it might have been like a really interesting plot. But mm-hmm. we already ha- we we already have documented evidence that that's that kind of thing is <laughs> happening in real life. Except it's not uh, people in the U.S. It's people from Russia that are doing it, uh, and bots and, so, and all sorts. Yeah, of and bots things, and all kinds yeah. of things. It just felt like um, like a, a show that tried to one up mm-hmm. reality and instead ended up getting one upped by reality. So it was, <laughs> I, yeah, it definitely, it couldn't keep up with the madness that's going on. That was a, I thought that was a good season though. Cause that moved things to New York and I, yeah, yeah I will, I, I, here's what yeah. I'll say about it. They, they at mm-hmm. least had the boldness to try something very, very different than what they'd done yeah, in previous seasons. Sure. And it's very difficult when a show has been running for that long to, to not stick with the tried and true. And it was a very mm-hmm. different season in terms of pacing uh, and in terms of stakes than, than other seasons. So, for sure. Uh, yeah. So I, I did appreciate that. Uh, speaking of Hulu, also, Devendra, I wanted to just qu- give a quick shout-out to You're the Worst. I've been marathoning that, trying to catch up. So nice. Um, yeah. I believe one of the writers of that show listens to this podcast, and he's in the Slack film cast. So I'm, I'm oh. trying to catch up so I can kind of, like, participate in the chat with about oh, this yeah. season. I'm um, glad you brought that up, too, because the new season is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So You're the Worst, uh, seasons one through three on hulu and i think season mm-hmm. four is on fx right now so uh, it's on I am, fx yeah i'm on mm-hmm. about two-thirds of the way through season three right now and i just find it's it, it, it captures our time in a really interesting way uh mm-hmm. in, in a way that's very different than let's say like bojack horseman i feel like also captures our time uh, uh, i but, mean they feel there are so many shows about like the la modern malaise right right exactly. and i think this is another one um i really enjoy it though like there are some there are other ones like, you know, that aren't I don't think difficult people set in L.A. That's a New York show. But there are shows about like really annoying, you know, hard to live with people like catastrophe and like difficult people. And I think you're the worst just really does a good job of selling those characters, despite them usually being big jerks. You know, yeah. What else have you been watching, Devendra? Uh, also checked out the actually well now that you brought up you're the worst did you want to say this current season is pretty damn great the they the first two episodes uh it was like a one hour premiere so there are two episodes that kind of directly build off of what happened at the end of last season just yeah tremendous the show continues to get better i'm glad that a show like this isn't slowing down because a lot of other shows about you know young people in our modern times i'm thinking of like new girl and some others uh they tend to just lose their steam yeah, stag- after a while this show, over time yeah yeah this show still has its bite and i can't yep. dig that totally agreed uh, and i also so saw i also saw the first episode of american vandal which is this show is hard to explain it is sort of like a spoof on serial or the type of like it's, deep it's a spoof on serial thing. and making a murder i would say is the most direct, yeah yeah and making a murder direct, but yeah, yeah. it it's a, it's, it's a mock, about... it's a mockumentary about uh, a a crime of vandalism, basically. Um, a crime, well, yeah, a crime of uh, who who drew dicks all <laughs> over the teachers' cars. That's that's it. Like you get really serious about who drew the dicks. How did this happen? This guy who was who was implicated is clearly innocent or something like that. Uh, I love how the show commits to the premise because uh, that's it's just kind of a it's absurd and it. 
uh, you know, there's eight episodes of this, so I think I'm going to take my time with it a little. Um, but it has some really great, hilarious moments, especially if you've watched things like Serial and Making a Murderer. Like there are there are those eureka moments, like that that could turn the whole case around. And the first episode has one of those. It's just kind of hilarious, I thought. So yeah, if you're into this stuff, I think it's a decent spoof. Like I found it more engaging than some of the uh, documentary now, you know, things I've seen. It's American Vandal. And I watched the first five minutes of it and was stunned that it was not a YouTube video. Uh, instead, it's an eight-episode series on Netflix. I, uh, I actually think you would like it, Dave. Uh, yeah, I, that's what I keep hearing. I mean, I, ju- I just thought I, I've i already gotten enough of the bit already in the first five minutes. I don't see how I'm going to last eight episodes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, some several people responded when I tweeted about it saying, like, it's, it's worth, you know, that they're really sucked into it. Uh, I think Miles McNutt said, like, the... The commitment to the bit is a huge part of the bit. The I commitment think is, is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I'll try, maybe I'll try making it all the way to the end of the first episode and go from there. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we've been watching. American Vandal is on Netflix right now, and if you like uh, shows like Making a Murder, maybe you'll enjoy it. That's one what of the things you always week. talk about, uh, Devendra. Is is uh, as we transition into our ad now? He <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> said nice. seamlessly. Nice uh, is. Uh, is the sound you you I more than anybody else I know you have always talked at length about having great sound in it's your important. home theater setup sure. yeah because yeah. everybody goes into the store and they look at the big screens and the shiny screens and they want a bigger screen and they want to hire more pixels and all that stuff but too few people pay attention to great sound and that is you know just as important a part of the, the process and that's why I'm so excited that we got sponsored by Sonos because Sonos is the best sound I have ever had in my house <laughs> in any place I've ever lived, including when I grew up and my dad was like obsessive about sound. Sonos takes it to a whole other level. I have a, the, the play base, which I got back in April and, uh, added a couple of play one speakers as my rear speakers and just added the sub, which is the subwoofer. And all of that stuff works together in, in harmony to create this amazing surround sound system for watching movies and TV shows. And it is mind boggling how good it sounds, how it paints a picture with audio around you and puts you inside. It's just incredible, but it also is amazing playing music. It's amazing uh, listening to podcasts. I do that when I'm playing with my son. We I put on a podcast and just have it playing through the back speakers because that's back where his little play area is behind the couch. It's it's phenomenal, and you can set up all those zones as independent zones. It has a really cool app that makes it super easy. You can set up all these zones in different rooms, and you can play different things or have it seamless follow you through the house. Yeah, it's all I, modular. I would say there's a few like uh, features of the Sonos that distinguish it from other speaker sets. One of them is uh, that it uses wireless in your house, like the wireless network. It piggybacks off it to create a 5.1 surround set system, basically. If you uh, you know use what Jeff suggested, uh, a play base, a sub, and two play ones. Uh, that's basically 5.1, and you're doing it without all the crazy tiny cords that or, or wires that usually go to a 5.1 sound system. Um, but another thing is it's modular, as Jeff indicated. So you can kind of like, you can buy as many, you can buy like 10 play ones if you wanted to, stack them all around your house. You can buy just one. You can do whatever you want to do, and it kind of rewards you the more things you buy. And it's um, really cool, too, because you can have those play ones. Like, the way my house works, the the back of the living room is kind of its own space, and that's where my kid plays. So I can 
separate out those play run ones as their own quote unquote room and they can contribute to the surround sound system. Like they're linked to my living room surround sound system, but they are also their own room. So I can isolate them and just play a podcast through just one of the speakers or two of the speakers. If I want, it's super easy to do all that. It's all, there's tons of freedom and it sounds so good. These tiny little unobtrusive speakers that don't need wires that just plug into your wall outlet, put out an incredible audio experience yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's far awesome. better than like bluetooth sound right it's uncompressed oh, yeah. sound too on the bigger speakers so it, it all sounds pretty amazing yeah so a, a lot of uh, high quality sound a lot of high quality worksmanship goes to the speakers i'm just wondering jeff these speakers you know they're very high quality but can we get people who are listening to this a deal on these speakers well dave i'm so glad you asked that question because we can get them a deal. In fact, I mentioned at the very top of the show, you probably weren't listening then, but that's okay, because <laughs> I'm gonna repeat it. With using our, our promo code, which is FILMCAST10, you have to capitalize the F, capital F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, and then one zero, at Sonos.com, for the first time ever, we're getting our listeners 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product, on Sonos.com. So this is a limited time only offer. It can't be combined with other discounts or promotions, but it's pretty awesome. 10% off any order, $2,500 or less at Sonos.com. Just use that Filmcast 10, capital F, and uh, it's awesome. that You'll let them know that you listen to us too, and you'll upgrade your sound and and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I really appreciated uh, getting a few tweets from people who actually bought the Playbase using that code, right? We yeah. got a few mm-hmm. tweets, and people were saying, like, this has completely uh, changed their sound system for the better and that they really appreciate it. Join those ranks. Go to Sonos.com, uh, promo code FILMCAST10 to get 10% off. Thanks to Sonos for sponsoring us. Let's move on, guys, uh, to film and TV news. Uh, just one quick film news item to mention. Jamie Lee Curtis coming back for a new... Halloween, which is going to be coming out in, uh, I think, October 19th of 2018. Didn't uh, she do that already? Wasn't there a 25th anniversary of Halloween that brought back Jamie H20? I think it was an H20. Yeah. 20? H20. Yeah, H20. Yeah, H20. That's right. <laughs> H20. But this is oh. pre- presumably the last time uh, she tweeted out an image of herself uh, playing the iconic role of Laurie Strode. Uh, and there's Mike Myers behind her threateningly brandishing a knife. Uh, and there when will is, those kids ever learn? I don't know. The plot synopsis uh, reads as follows. Jamie Lee Curtis returns to her iconic role as Laurie Strode, who comes to her final confrontation with Michael Myers, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped his killing spree on Halloween night four decades ago. Um, John Carpenter will executive produce. Uh, and uh, Jason Blum, who obviously did horror films like Get Out, The Purge, and Split, uh, will uh, also be a producer on this movie. Uh, and David Gordon Green will direct uh, with a script that Danny McBride huh. helped to write. So that's awesome. you can expect hilarity. Yeah. yeah, you guys, you guys excited for this? Uh, I, I've never really been a Halloween fan myself. I'm more of like a Nightmare on Elm Street kind of guy. That first movie is really good. Like just the the suspense and the tension. But, but I'm interested in this one just because uh, David Gordon Green is fantastic. He's and... a, he's a very interesting filmmaker. Very interesting filmography. He has. Yeah. Right. Very diverse. Yeah. So. I'm always I'm always interested when these things happen where you get the original cast decades later and it seems like we are in this place where these properties uh, are no longer precious and people who grew up with them can really bring fresh takes to it and I I'm always hopeful that there'll be an interesting 
take on it, an interesting idea at play to bring back the original character. I, I'm always hopeful and curious. I'm not like you. I've never been a huge Halloween fan, but um, I'll you know I'll I'll keep an eye on this one. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll see October of uh, 2018 is when we'll we'll see that movie, and uh, prob- maybe we'll review that one. We'll see. Right. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the Emmys, guys. The Emmys happened this past Sunday. Uh, big Sunday, and uh, I watched the entire ceremony. Devinder, how much of it did you watch? Uh, pretty much like the last quarter. Uh, mm. I was following along with the winners, but uh, yeah, I was just wanting to see who won at the end. Yeah, so I thought we'd just spend a few minutes talking about who won, talking about the ceremony itself. I thought the ceremony was uh, pretty good o- overall. Uh, I thought Colbert did an overall good job with one exception. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was inviting Sean Spicer to be part of the ceremony. Um, but other than that, I thought uh, he was on point and took the event as seriously as it deserves to be taken. Uh, things I was really happy about. I was psyched that Big Little Lies got a lot of love. Uh, and yeah. Nicole Kidman yeah. won. Deserved, for, uh, deservedly yeah. so. Uh, yeah. One of the best performances of the year. Um, yeah, for big, sure. Nicole Kidman, Big Little Lies. Uh, showed us something I, I don't think we've ever seen in, that, in uh, her as an actor before. And uh, I, I just thought it was extraordinary. Uh, Veep continued to dominate, which, you know, Veep is a great show, but it just has been so dominant over so many, many mm-hmm. years. It feels like, oh, come on, uh, give someone else a turn, which they will, because I think last season's of the, uh, next season is the last season. Uh, what else? Uh, Black Mirror won several awards that I yeah. thought were, yeah. were, were really awesome. Pretty big. Uh, I mean, the big one is Handmaid's Tale, right? And yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. But hold on, let me just finish. Uh, so Black Mirror won for uh, Outstanding Writing for a Limited Series, Charlie Brooker for San Junipero. Which um, is, I think, nice. the clear standout yep. uh, episode of the new one, new exactly, batch. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, that along with our friend Dan Trachtenberg's episode. That's <laughs> right, that's right. Uh, San Junipero also won for Outstanding Television Movie, so it won twice. Uh, very well-deserved San Junipero, an incredible episode of Black Mirror. If you, if you haven't seen that episode, go watch it. You don't need to know any other Black Mirror. Just go check it out right now. It's on Netflix. But also um, set aside some time to just like nurse your heart break <laughs> yeah and it, it, which is not the uh, usual response to a black mirror episode yeah uh, uh, yeah black mirror episode is usually a, a a harsher experience than that one is i think that one uh had a, a softer touch and, and is a more beautiful story and and uh, i'm glad it got recognition also love that uh aziz ansari and lena waith waith is it yep. pronounced uh mm-hmm. one for uh, master of none episode i thought that was great i i almost like broke out in tears when that mm-hmm. it won because that was uh an incredibly emotional moving episode like my favorite episode yeah. uh po- po- probably one of my favorite episodes of television of all time like in my it really entire feels like in my it's entire a standalone, life it, yeah. yeah it really feels like it's a standalone short film right yeah uh the episode mm-hmm. is thanksgiving it's a part of master of none season 2 it is just outstanding, incredible, so powerful, and told from a perspective that you you know you usually don't get. And, and you know when people argue for diversity in uh, television and movies, it's episodes like Thanksgiving that they're arguing for, like a, a perspective that you just wouldn't be able to get otherwise. Uh, it comes through in that episode, and um, also Aziz and Sorry, class act, basically just let uh, Lena wait, uh, do all the talking for that. Uh, for that thank you because I think you know Aziz and sorry mm-hmm. he's going to get out of the chances to talk so yeah, uh, for sure. I, I just thought it was such a 
uplifting win uh cheers broke out in the house when when that that episode won so i was really happy about that yeah and uh, you know also donald glover winning two for atlanta which is a tremendous series lovely series too and yeah glad he is getting love for that he not only won as an actor he also won uh for best director mm-hmm. uh, making him the first african-american i think to win for directing uh at the emmys and it's insane. Yeah, that's yeah. it's uh, it's an incredible achievement. Also, love that he gave a shout out to uh, Hiro Murai, an insanely talented mm-hmm. uh, director who did many episodes of Atlanta. Uh, so yeah, Atlanta, great show. One of the most visually distinctive shows on television, and uh, I'm, I'm glad it won uh, the awards that it did. Uh, but really, the big story is the Handmaid's Tale, guys. Uh, Handmaid's Tale, insane, yeah, uh, outstanding drama series, making it, I think, the first of the streaming only networks mm-hmm. like Hulu um, and Netflix to win uh, at, like a drama series category, yeah. I believe. Yeah, um, well, the best drama series for sure. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth- if you would have been asked uh, even what two years ago, which uh, which streaming network would an Emmy first? Mm-hmm. How how long would it take you to get around to Hulu? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Netflix has had so many, and Amazon has had Transparent and a whole yeah. bunch of shows for a while. Then there's know. like Crackle, Epic, <laughs> Stars, Showtime, get all those. Uh, and then maybe Hulu. I would mention, right? Um, but right. yeah, uh, they they took the prize. They took they took many prizes, uh, many of which were well deserved. Uh, Reed Morano won for outstanding directing. She directed the first few episodes of that series. Really helped create that world. Uh, an XDP uh, and a, uh, a female director, so very notable that she took home the Outstanding Director Prize. Uh, and what else? I feel like uh, uh, Anne Dowd won uh, as Outstanding Supporting Actress. Obviously, yeah. tremendous actress. A lot of people who like The Leftovers think that was a kind of makeup win for Anne Dowd because uh, she was not recognized for her work in The Leftovers. And Bruce Miller won uh, for writing for uh, The Handmaid's Tale as well. And nothing in the leftovers was recognized for anything. That's because right. The world Brutal. is unfair. Brutal. But also Elizabeth Moss, uh, that was her first win too, right, as lead actress. So let me run this. Let me run this by you guys. Yeah. So the journalist Yashar Ali tweeted yeah. this yeah. Uh, the night of the Emmys, and uh, he said it would be. This was actually before the Emmys happened. He said it would be a travesty if, if Elizabeth Moss won an Emmy for *Handmaid's Tale*. She's a Scientologist. It is hypocritical of her to benefit from it. I've been wanting to talk, to talk about this for a while, but frankly, my mind has been occupied with other projects. Handmaid's Tale is about life in a totalitarian state where people, especially women, fear that one wrong word or action could land them in trouble. That's basically how Scientology operates, where one wrong, wrong word or action could lead your own family to rat you out and land you in trouble. Scientology mm-hmm. may have tax-exempt status, but it is not a religion. It is a criminal money-making enterprise which destroys people's lives. If you're caught by anyone within Scientology, be it a family member or a friend doing something against the rules, they are required to write up a knowledge report. That person will get hauled in for expensive auditing or be forced to go to the org in Clearwater, Florida. Scientology engages in false imprisonment, works to drain parishioners of their money, and threatens them with release of their private info. So here we are with Elizabeth Moss. She's starring Mm -hmm. in a show that mirrors The Handmaid's Tale uh, in more ways than one. Not many people know that until a few years ago, Scientology forced members in the Sea Org, like the priesthood, to have abortions. I've been obsessed with Scientology for 17 years and been working on an investigative series, which will come out soon. Elizabeth Moss gives money to and lends credibility to Scientology, which rips apart families. She is no ordinary Scientologist. Anyway, it goes on for a while, Mm -hmm. but 
Point being that uh, I did think it was, you know, and a lot of people reacted very poorly to that thread, too. They, they really did not like it because the, the belief yeah. is that the work should stand alone, right? That there, there should be, like, people's own personal beliefs should not reflect on whether they did a great job acting in a series, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I see his point, too, and I'm no fan of Scientology, and I think everything he's pointing out is important. Uh, I think the, a lot of the negative reaction, it just seemed, I guess, a little classless to bring it up now because of the Emmys. And on a certain level, I do think like I've been watching Elizabeth Moss for a while. I know she's a talented actress and I feel like, you know, it was only a matter of time until she got this. I didn't know how much of her, when you could point to Scientology for it. That's the thing. Like I, there is well, a certain hypocrisy. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's sort of what because he, she's a Scientologist. Well, I think that, that's, that's sort of what he was implying. Yeah. I, I think he's saying he, uh, I think, he, uh, my, my so reading was what that. Devendra was saying, like that she does in some way benefit from Scientology. Right. Yep. But even apart from that, I think, I think it's yep. the idea that if, you, if you're part of something that is like antithetical to the uh, mm-hmm. principles of something that you're acting in, right, should that affect your ability to win, you know, a prize yeah. in that category or not? It certainly like affects like how much I can really appreciate Elizabeth Moss right now. I, you know, I love everything she's doing. She's amazing in Top of the Lake. She's amazing in Handmaid's Tale. Um, but that inherent hypocrisy is kind of always there and it kind of it bugs me. But I don't know if it should mean, you know, she shouldn't win the Emmy because yeah, she's also tremendous. Actor. I guess I'm not clear on the how she benefits point. Uh, well, I guess the idea that um, Scientologists benefit from like, do you, do you not think Tom Cruise has in some way benefited from uh, his membership to Scientology? Like, do you, there are. Well, yeah. In Hollywood, the, I think part of the Scientology has benefited from their association with yeah. Tom Cruise. I don't part think... of the narrative for Scientology, though, is that it is like a it is basically a great club for Hollywood elites, and everybody joins it, and like they kind of help each other in a way. So that was the thing for a while. I don't know if it how much of an effect it has on people's careers once they actually become big and you know talented on their own. Devendra, you said it was kind of classless to bring it up now. What did you mean by that? Do you mean like we should have brought it up earlier before the Emmys? Or yeah, I mean literally, literally anytime. That's that's the <laughs> anytime like, before I, now would have been. You had good. so much time. I can understand like why he just kind of wanted to say this now. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of his, but he's also you know he he gets into trouble in social media because he tends to you know he he tweets before he really thinks about it. Um, but I yeah, it, I see his point. This is a tough situation. It's a it's a bizarre thing, and it's something that you could definitely discuss with regard to this actress. Like, is she not aware of that? Is she, is this a cry for help? Is it you know what? It, it's a very is it cognitive dissonance that she doesn't see that that's exactly the life that she's sort of participating in that is all sort of on the table completely and and worth discussing but the idea of saying well because she's living this strange lie we shouldn't award her uh, an award for work that is clearly excellent Mm -hmm. i i don't understand that at all it's i have not made up my mind on on this kind of issue because i can see it both ways that like the work should stand on its own yeah. But, and also, too many people I like are Scientologists, and damn it, like it's, <laughs> you're not going to get any argument from me. Yeah. But you know, too many people I like have a lot of really dumb ideas about things, and and mm-hmm. that's unfortunate. But like, I, I don't know. I, yeah. It's it seems like and an also, odd thing to say that if somebody's mm-hmm. 
believe something I don't believe, we shouldn't give them an award. A, a lot of people also did bring up the like religion comparison. I I'm like as much as I think like there's a lot of nuance to this. I am deeply uncomfortable like saying Scientology is like the same as yeah established religion. So it's it's, it's a longer oh, conversation. Well, that's a different that's a different that's podcast, a longer conversation. I have uh, yeah. I have I, I disagree with that vehemently. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I thought it was an interesting issue that came up during the amazing. Th- wanted to acknowledge it, uh, but. Also, going back to the other awards at the Emmys this year, uh, a couple other things I just wanted to mention. Number one, uh, Saturday Night Live won big. Yeah. Uh, Kate McKinnon. This uh, young upstart show called Saturday Night Live just came out and won a bunch of awards, guys. Yeah. I mean, they had a pretty good season. Kate McKinnon won uh, an award as well. And um, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? Uh, Riz Ahmed won an award for his work in The Night Of. Uh, I thought that was – he was great in that show, and I, I thought uh, that was a well-deserved win. So did that, did that show win anything else? I don't think so. Uh, okay. It was nominated for Outstanding Limited Series, but Big Little Lies won. So, uh, and yeah, it was also so nominated right for like, – in the world. Yeah, basically. nominated for a couple of other awards. Uh, there was a bunch of uh, shows and networks that were shut out. The thing that really pained me was that Westworld didn't win anything. Uh, yeah. And I thought like Jeffrey Wright was amazing in that. I thought the pilot written by Jonathan Nolan was great. Uh, I just thought Westworld deserved a little bit more love. So I mean, did it, did it win any creative arts Emmys? Uh, I, I believe so. I believe so. That, that was like the week before the show. Yeah, that yeah. was last week. I was surprised that Amazon basically nothing, nothing this year. Uh, Mozart in the Jungle did win a creative arts Emmy, but yeah, nothing in the main awards. And that's maybe that was we saw we heard about uh, Jeff Bezos's new plan to basically do be better. But yeah, it's funny. You know the best part of the Emmys, guys? The, the, just uh, hands down the best part of the Emmys. Sure. What are people wearing? <laughs> right? That's what they always want to know on the red carpet. What are people wearing? It's something, honestly, I don't pay enough attention to in my life. And, and that's a shame. The reason for that is I don't like to shop. I hate it. I have always hated it. When I was a little kid, I hated it. I hated it in, as a teenager in college. I hate it now. I never enjoy if I, I can shop for electronics. <laughs> I'll do that. I can shop for uh, video games. But when it comes to dressing myself and looking stylish, I like looking stylish. I want to look stylish. I like how I feel when I look good, and I like I like getting compliments on how I look, and I like feeling like I'm you know uh, I'm in style. But I don't like to put in the work. Luckily, our sponsor, Bombfell, fits the bill for me perfectly. What I did was I signed up for Bonf- uh, Bombfell. And, and what how do you spell Bombfell, Jeff? B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L. And then what I did was I, uh, I filled in all my sizes. Uh, best, of, best of my knowledge, I filled in my sizes. And, and then there's a, a questionnaire on the Bombfell uh, sign-up page. Very quick, simple questionnaire, but just kind of like gets a, a sense of who you are. Like, oh, you like this or you like that? What kind of clothes do you usually wear? Fill it in, bloop, bloop, bloop. What are you looking to do? Are you looking to improve your style? Are you looking to just get clothes easier, whatever? And then they match you with a personal stylist. This is a person, that a, a human being, not an algorithm. This is a human being that is stylish, that will get clothes for you, and but also corresponds with you via email. So he sent me an email, said, hey, here's what I'm looking at for you. Here's, you know, you were expressed interest in getting new pants, new shirt, uh, new shorts. This is what I, what I initially signed up with. 
here's what I'm looking at. And I was like, wow, those look really cool. But I could have said, eh, not so much. And he would have gone, oh, okay, well, here's some other ideas. There's a back and forth that you get to have. This is really a personal stylist that wants to make you look cool, but look cool in a way you're comfortable with and what you want your style to be. You go back and forth. And then I was a little nervous, to be honest with you, that the clothes were going to come. I never tried them on. I never had any personal contact with them. It was all done through the, through the stylist. But they got to my house. These clothes fit so well. My wife was super impressed with how they looked. I'm telling you, I love wearing these clothes. In fact, uh, I went to the uh, Penny Arcade Expo in Seattle. Clothes I wore for my panel, the clothes I wanted to be in front of the live audience, the big live audience I did there, I wore my my bombfell outfit that I got, the, the shirt and pants, short sleeve button-up shirt, looked really stylish. And uh, my co-host, Anthony Carboni, commented on it. He's like, oh, you really upped your game. It's like, yeah, I didn't want to tell him it was bombfell, but it was bombfell. <laughs> it was, it's awesome, guys. Well, Jeff, did, uh, did you lean over and whisper to him, I'm wearing bombfell. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't want to be your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's Jeff, as someone who uh, gets all of his clothes at Costco, I, I have also tried Bombfell, and I will say it is way, way better than getting your clothes at Costco. Uh, it's a, it's <laughs> as a easy. Bar, David. It's a, I, I don't know. Costco sells some pretty good clothes, um, uh, but it. I, uh, so. I think it does pretty pretty good job. Pretty good. <laughs> Um, and, uh, it's as easy as Jeff says it is, and the clothes are as high quality as you would think, and, uh, love the working with a stylist, like, you would not, you would not think that something like this would produce good results, because, hey, how can someone possibly know, like, what my measurements are, what I look good in, but they really streamline a lot of that process, and, uh, help you look, like, get looking good real quick, so. And you only buy the, the things that you want to buy. You're, you're not forced into any, any decisions. If you get it and it doesn't fit right, you can send it back. It's all really, really cool. And I never have to go to the store. It's all done. And it improves my taste without me actually having to do any work, which is pretty amazing. The best part is we're going to give you a special offer that we fought for. We negotiated with Bombfell to make sure our listeners got a, an exclusive offer, and that is $25 off your first purchase. So head over to bombfell.com slash filmcast. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. And you will get $25 off your first order. Just try it out. I think you're going to dig the clothes you'll get. I'm certainly happy, um, feeling better, feeling sharper, up in my game. Up your game. Bombfell.com slash filmcast. Really appreciate Bombfell sponsoring us. Uh, let's move on. Before we get to our review of uh, Mother, I want to thank all the people that donated to the podcast. Thanks to D. Chia from Salt Lake City, Utah, with a very generous donation. Thanks to Stunt Bite from New Zealand uh, for their donation. And thanks to new subscriber Brent Hosking, or I should say Brett Hosking, for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. If you like what we do here on the podcast and want to support us, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page to donate to the show. Uh, all the money you donate helps us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show for you guys. So we really appreciate it. Uh, and that's all we've got before we get to our review right now of Darren Aronofsky's Mother. We spend all our time here. I want to make a paradise. She redid all of it. Every last detail. And she breathed life back into every room. Are you happy? I love you.
Please, come in. Hello. Hello. He's a stranger. We're just gonna let him sleep in our house. Hello. Hello. Did you know he had a wife? That was from the trailer of Mother, the newest film by writer-director Darren Aronofsky. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence. Joining us today is a very special guest. Uh, He is head screen junkie at screenjunkies.com. Andy Signore, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Andy? Hey, guys. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, glad to have you on, and before we move to the review, just want to mention that I'm a huge fan of Screen Junkies. If you don't watch Screen Junkies on YouTube or subscribe to them, you should do that. Plug, done, but uh, I, I love everything they do, so check out ScreenJunkies.com. But Andy, So say we all. Yeah, so say we all. All huge fans of Screen Junkies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what better way of welcoming one of the brains behind Screen Junkies onto the Slash Filmcast than by choosing a movie we can all agree on with no controversial opinions whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> that is to say, Darren Aronofsky's mother. Uh, Andy, what were your thoughts on this movie? Well, I, we're, not, we're trying not to spoil this movie, but it's a, one of those movies that's very hard to talk about without really diving deep. And I guess I will give it that credit, um, but the, the basic short version for me is I, I left unhappy, and I don't know if that was his goal or if that was the point. Um, but it, I, I, I just wasn't. It's the movie stressed me out. Uh, the movie sort of made me think a lot, which I, I do admire. But I just, at the end of the day, couldn't get connected to why or what was going on, or why I should care, or why I was put through what I was put through, um, to the point to recommend the film. Mm. Uh, well, you know, when I saw the movie Mother, I could tell immediately that this would be a movie that was going to polarize people. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I don't know why, but I just I just felt like when I was watching it, people are going to walk out of this movie. Like, I, I just had that thought. And um, Oh, yeah. Uh, I love, uh, like, Matt Singer wrote a review of Mother at Letterboxd. And uh, all the comments on this review are just people telling stories of other people walking out of their screening of mother. Uh, so and usually uh, well, like cursing at the screen or something like, yeah, making it well, known they're leaving. Andy, that's uh, I got home. We were at the both at the same screening in LA and uh, I got home and, and loaded up my, my Twitter and saw that you had written that you would have walked out. Uh, I was, of, I was very close. There's a point in the film. I'm sure, you know, I mean, it's sort of where it all goes haywire. Right. It was a point in the film where I just like, I don't, I don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> I, why? I, I, I'd rather go spend time with my family or go read a book or just do anything else. But I didn't want to give the film the satisfaction that it made me walk out. <laughs> it just made me angry. And I was like, all right, I'm going to not walk out. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to see what you're doing. What's the point of this, Darren? I'm, I'm going to try and believe that there's a point at the end of this. And I struggled. I, I never really thought there was one. Mm. Like, mm. I, I feel like there's this, because we've talked about this on Screen Junkies and our, our channels and such, and we've had sort of this argument, and, and I've had a lot of, because of those tweets, a lot of people do the whole, well, you just didn't understand it. You didn't understand the allegories and all the things. And 
It's like, yes, I did. It, it, they were hitting me over the head with it. Like, I knew what was going on. <laughs> I don't think anybody really knows what's going on. There's a million ways you could interpret it, and there's some obvious ones that he's now even admitted are sort of what he was going for. Um, that didn't make it any better for me. It's like, okay, great. I see what you're doing there, but why? What's really the goal here? And again, I don't want to get into spoilers of the ending and where it goes just yet, but it really, that's what's just sort of stuck with me of like, I didn't understand what we what we really learned from it. It was just a, one of those things that I can see why people and a lot of film critics enjoyed it and it challenged them and I can t- give it credit in that regard. But as a film, I just, I was not entertained. I wasn't challenged in a way that made me rethink my life or what's what the world is like or what do we learn or what, what can we do to change it? It just felt like it was torture. Hmm. <laughs> let me, uh, let me read out a couple of these. I won't read out too many, but I, I want to read out a couple of these stories cause I found them to be so hilarious. Um, this person named Peterson Hill wrote uh, on this letterbox review, uh, the gentleman in front of me left the theater to take a call from Rodney Johnson. He said his name rather loudly. When he stood up, he told his wife, Rodney wouldn't like this baby. I didn't like this. <laughs> Uh, there's another... Rod, Rod Johnson. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Braxton Fannin writes about halfway through my screening, two different people on opposite sides of the theater stood up to walk out at the same time. They pointed across <laughs> to each other and shared a moment. <laughs> anyway, um, I just thought oh, now he's bringing now people I, together. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, now I feel bad. I didn't do one of those walkouts and make it way more fun. <laughs> uh, Jeff Kanata, take us through your thoughts on mother. Okay, so um, part of the reason that uh, I, I engaged Andy on on Twitter when I read his uh, his tweet was is because of how opposite I felt to it, and uh, and I'm so glad he's here that we can engage in a discussion about it because um, I loved this movie, I loved it, and I'm not always into Aronofsky, right? I did not like Noah at all. I think we reviewed it on the show, and I. Did not care for that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's not. It, it's not always a home run with Aronofsky for me. This one was, uh, and I'll explain a little bit why in ways that are non-spoilery, and we'll get deeper when we get there. But first of all, just at the beginning of this film, I mean, I as I tend to do, <laughs> I go into movies not knowing anything about what's going on, and that is a is a particularly beautiful way to to start the relationship with this movie because a lot of what the movie is about is what's going on and where are we headed and feeling uh, bewildered by just the chaos of what's going around and the way Aronofsky films it almost entirely in close up for most of the movie on uh, Jennifer Lawrence and feeling this, this constrained, confined, uh, oppressive view of her and the chaos that starts to unravel around her and I tend to like movies uh, or, you know, uh, stories where uh, someone is trying to hold it together amidst chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to think of, like, some examples of that, of, of other movies like that that I love. Can, can, I, I, always, just say, uh, can I just interject for a second, Jeff? Uh, uh, you were talking about, like, how the filmmaking focuses on this, like, inner perspective. 99% of the shots of this movie are one of three shots. Darren Aronofsky said this, right? It was either from her perspective, like her, her POV, uh, a close-up of her face, uh, or behind the shoulder, right? Like mm-hmm. o- over the shoulder, right? Uh, that's like the vast majority of the shots in the movie. And I thought it was really effective at immersing you in that perspective. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, it's so, not just immersing you in her perspective, too. It, 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 it feels claustrophobic. It feels because the movie is about this tension. And 
I will say that coming directly from seeing it to seeing mother, uh, I know everybody's loving it <laughs> and it was fine, but at no point did I ever feel a sense of tension in it. Like I feel in mother throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And, and that is anything can happen. Basically. Anything can happen. That's a great way of putting it. You have no idea where you're headed. And that. Can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. That to me is is such a wonderful place to be. I mean, that's why I don't want to watch trailers, right? Is I, I want to not know where I'm headed. But this movie in particular uses that as a device to string you along and put you inside this character who doesn't know what's going on. And as I was saying, I love these movies where someone is trying to keep plates spinning in three different places at once, you know, and 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 as things completely unravel. And I was yep. trying to think of of examples of that. Uh, the one I always come to. Uh, that I honestly don't even know if it holds up because I haven't seen it in so long, is Judgment Night. <laughs> oh, yeah, Emilio Estevez. Right? Man. They, they, those guys just wanted to go and have a great uh, <laughs> a bachelor party or whatever it was. They were. No, they were going to a fight. They were going to see a fight, right? And uh, they just take one wrong turn and then everything's out of control. I love that stuff. Or, or even a better, more recent example is the episode of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia called Charlie Work. Mm. which is a lot like this movie in a lot of ways. You're just kind of in Charlie's world and he's trying to make everything happen and keep a lid on all this chaos that's going around. Anyway, I, I love that theme of I'm a normal person. I have, I have a completely uh, genuine, good hearted uh, intention. I, I just want things to be held together and I'm not, and everything I do just makes it worse. And I just felt so inside Jennifer Lawrence's experience of of just trying to do the right thing and not understanding why it's not working and trying to be a good person at every turn, which when the central metaphor of what is really going on lands, and it landed on me very early. It's not a, a big mystery, but we won't talk about it now. It. It hit me and it, it it brought me through into her experience in such a profound way that I honestly came home from this and apologized to my wife <laughs> because <laughs> I, I have never yep I have never through a piece of media understood my wife's perspective. And I'm probably going to say some things in the spoiler section of this of this review that are much more personal and revealing than I should. But that is what this movie did to me. It made me really look at my own life in a bare, honest way that I, nothing has ever done before. And put me in the shoes of my wife, whom I love, whom I want to honor and respect at every turn, and who I always try to understand her perspective, but this movie gave me her perspective because it is exaggerated and it is magical and it is, um, in a realm of, 
of um, unreality, right? It is it is using metaphor and it is using a heightened reality of of cinematic language that expresses these everyday issues that my wife deals with so much more clearly to me. I get it now. Like I, I'm put through that experience and we'll get more to what that's about. But I think purely on a, just like a sense of adventure level, which is this movie takes me through an adventure of a character who is trying to hold it all together as it goes crazy. Just mm-hmm. that question mark of where we're going, not knowing what, what, and where we end up, we do end up going is like so insane and over the top and wild. Like that ride just as a, on a pure visceral level was fun, but also the, the layer of metaphor that worked for me actually changed the kind of person I want to be in my life. Wow. And how often can you say that about a movie? It's a, it's a tremendous accomplishment and, and and an amazing movie. Now I don't think it's perfect. Like I think the movie could be shorter I think there are things that he hits over the head that are a little redundant and we don't need to quite – like we get it at a certain point. Like you yeah. don't need to keep hammering that. But I can't say anything other than the fact that this movie was uh, an extraordinary experience for me. Andy, uh, did any of that sway you at all just out of curiosity? <laughs> uh, no, look, I, I I appreciate all you're saying and I can see your point of view. I guess where I am stuck though is like – the ride wasn't fun for me. <laughs> you said the ride is fun. Mm-hmm. Like, and I get that's what he's trying to do. Um, but I can see, uh, and I'm glad you got that point of view and perspective of it. Like, I feel like I see that every day just in this current political administration. Like, there are things I can get that viewpoint from of how to be a better person and other things like we can learn that from. I got so heavy, I got, so, I felt like the film was just so heavy handed and just trying to shock for shock's sake. I was also seeing a little bit of like it felt like very pretentious and like this air of Darren's own story of the creator and the muse and all these things that sort of just felt like, why are you putting her through this? It just was so extreme to the point. I, you know, it definitely I, I, I agree. There was the tenseness, the claustrophobia. Uh, he was going for this sort of a, to, re, to make you react. And he did make me react in a negative way. And, 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 you know, there were particular parts that really affected me in a negative way. I'm just like, I don't want to see that. If you're going to go there, like, have a point to it. And I just feel like at the end of the movie, oh, you know, again, it's hard. I'm trying not to spoil this. Right. It's, but it's like, by the end of the movie, I just didn't feel like I left learning anything. I've said this before, but it's like, I just didn't feel, I, I feel like the things you're saying, Jeff, I agree. And I can see where you saw them. But for me, I thought he could have he could have dealt them in a in a definite in a nicer hand, um, in a more in a more succinct way, um, with a message that you know, sort of made you that made was more relatable to more people. Mm-hmm. Um, that I just didn't find it there. I, just, I, I had trouble finding it. it. Just it just was a a chore for me to go through, and I and I and the the allegories felt so obvious throughout the film that it just and then they were such, they were all so mixed. It was a, such a mixed message of allegories that. It's a little bit of this. It's a little bit of He's that. He's mixing his allegories. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I do think he was. And it's like that's where things sort of got disjointed for me. I think the film start. I do agree. Like it starts in this way where you don't know where it's going. Um, and I think the other thing that was actually let me rewind. The, the one thing that may have put me and, and was offsetting just for me was like the marketing of this film, which I do think is worthy of discussion. Like there was sort of this marketing effort of this is Rosemary's baby and you won't believe this WTF moment and the shocking film and they sort of were trying to trick the audience and did not understand that this is a deep 
artistic, metaphor-filled movie that's like there to challenge you and make you think. But so so is Rosemary's Baby. I just want to say. Sure, sure, no, fair, but it's yeah, yeah. they're different films in my yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one's definitely more commercially viable version of that, and one's definitely a more of an artistic, you know, harder to watch film, um, which I think Mother was. And I just think I went in with this mindset of like, ooh, big twist, and ooh, this is going to be a crazy horror movie. And I didn't leave that way. It was, it's a horror movie in a reality sort of way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that I can see. But I, I just, I feel like maybe it's just because I see so much of that day to day and in the current world we live in that I didn't leave like jazz to be like, man, yeah, I got to change my life. Like I've already, I'm already, I've been there. I've already been feeling that way for months. And to me, this was just like running me through the coals to remind me of how crappy life is and oh well um that i just i didn't really get a takeaway that i just felt like uh, it was helpful for me mm-hmm. and, I, and again it, it's hard for me to sort of to not see sort of darren this is a clearly a personal story for him i don't know him and i don't want to sort of judge and say what it is but there just felt a little bit of like i'm a genius like oh it's so hard to be a genius and mm-hmm. I'm but the genius it. is is not a good guy in the story, like this story is all about trying to understand the person who has to suffer right. to live alongside this <laughs> asshole. But yeah. we should we should also say that that you are right, uh, undeniably right on one point, Andy, and that is uh, eight million dollar opening. The the marketing did not work for this movie. Yeah, not, no, not only eight million dollar opening, but an F Cinema Score, uh, yeah. which yeah. not very many movies have gotten. Cinema Score is like an indication of how well audiences liked the movie. Andy, I think you're exactly right. This was positioned as a psychological horror movie, uh, and there was psychological it horror in yes, it. It is. It is. But yeah. but uh, it definitely wasn't quite. Uh, it didn't quite deliver on what the trailer promised. This, in my this film should have been advertised as an awards contender of. Jennifer Lawrence gives the performance of her career, and Javier, but like, and Darren Efron, you know, like, there's a way to advertise this to a more an adult base. That's sort of like this is an art house award contender that I think they missed the mark mm-hmm. on, and I think a lot of people left this movie frustrated and angry and sort of misled. And I, and that's one of part of the reasons I even reacted. Like, I don't try when I'm, I, I try not to be so critical these days of like films of I hate this movie. Like, but this one did leave a visceral action of not just that I didn't like it, but I wanted just people to go in prepared to know what they're in for, which I think is important with this movie. Cause I do think people will enjoy this film. And I love this dialogue because there's so much to pack and unpack from it um, that I do give it credit in that regard. But I think it's just not a film for a lot of people. And I think people yeah. just need to go ready and willing to know like, okay, this isn't some, you know, fun horror movie with a twist. This is a very intense psychological artistic, full of, full of, you know, things you need to unpack and take and not, a, not necessarily a happy ending that like, you sort of need to go in aware of that. Yeah. It's this almost like also, you're saying people will like the movie more if they don't see the trailers. Well, I, mean, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. I think there's plenty of people who didn't see the trailer who also didn't react well to the movie. Um, <laughs> but, but Devendra, why don't you, why don't you take us through well, your brief? No, uh, we, we will make an honest trailer. Don't you worry. <laughs> I'm excited I, to see that. I am looking am forward excited. to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually quite like the trailers, but maybe this movie, this is clearly an art house film. It's an independent film, and maybe it shouldn't be in wide release. Like I think that's that's the bigger thing. This movie's on a lot of cinema screens. Uh, because there's so much star power behind it. Uh, but yeah, I just want to say, Jeff, I'm so glad you like this movie. I, I was very prepared to, uh, I guess, repeat uh, our Noah chat, which is a movie I respected, but wasn't successful. Uh, but this movie, I freaking love. Like, this movie exemplifies why I'm a huge Darren Aronofsky fan. It swings for the fences, and it don't care if you like it or not. And I, first of all, I respect that. 
Um, to me, thematically, this film feels like a direct sequel to Noah in a way, too. Like, he's an angry guy. Have you guys noticed this in the, throughout his films? And uh, he's expressing it through this film, like through the sheer insanity of what we see here. And I also, you know, I don't, I got to look up like when he actually wrote this, but he didn't write this like in the middle of the Trump era, I think. Um, well, according but, to the, uh, yeah. the, the little essay that he gave all of the reviewers to read before <laughs> it, he wrote the script in five days. That mm. sounds about right. But uh, did, did he say, say when was it 2016 or was it uh, 2015? I'll have to read, I'm not read sure. My essay. But it does feel like a, <laughs> like to me this is the purest artist, artistic reflection of the insanity of what we're living in right now. Um in so many ways too. Like Noah was really his uh that was like a big budget uh, you know, fantasy biblical story told in the way of Lord of the Rings. Uh, but it was also like an environment, a film about environmentalism in a way. And he's always struck me as a guy. Uh, first of all, he's always trying to use religion to kind of deconstruct the world. That's been true since Pi. And I love how he goes deep with all of that. There's a ton of allegory here, both religious and also like you could read so much into this film too. Like uh, there's, there's definitely a reading of celebrity culture here too, but I don't think that's as effective as some of the other ones. Uh, I just love to think of it as a true sequel to Noah. You know, like <laughs> basically we fucked up the world. Like we humans have destroyed everything, and uh, you know maybe uh, maybe something is a little pissed about that, and maybe it's like these uninvited guests just need to get the fuck out, and <laughs> it may, it may have to like yeah happen in fire and brimstone or something. Uh, the imagery, you know, it's Aronofsky. Like he's always blunt about pretty much all of his imagery and symbolism but that's kind of the way he works you can't i don't know if you can swing for the fences and be subtle about swinging for the fences right um yeah just want to say love everything about this film we're going to dig deeper into it but uh i'm so glad that he got to make this movie and it's so like singularly his vision um i think of like directors like him and like maybe lars von trier too like people who just like really you know go for broke and don't really care what people think. And for me, Aronofsky is typically more successful at this stuff. Uh, yeah, this movie basically describes why I love him as yeah. a director. Well, I desperately want to get the spoiler, so I'm willing to just skip my opinion completely. But I, I want to hear say, your opinion, Dave. I, I, yeah. I will say this, that uh, I thought is is ludicrous that uh, Paramount felt the need to defend the decision to release this movie. I mean, look, yeah, let me ask you this question, on. Andy. You may not like the movie, but do you at least are you at least glad that movies like this can still exist and be released in wide release in, in movie theaters or or do oh, you feel I, like I, Look, absolutely. I'm, I look, I, I just didn't like the film, but I'm I'm I, I I technically the film's great. I mean, I I I had trouble enjoying some of the camera work and some of the the amazing stuff he was doing in the second half just because I was sort of turned off by the subject matter and the way it was going, but I can totally see some amazing artistic and technical achievements he was pulling off. That said, you know, there was a lot of like, you just brought up the, the sort of parent, uh, they, they have been having to like be on the defense of this movie. But I'm also like, what's frustrating to me is like, I feel like Darren is, is constantly having to explain himself, which has also made me uninterested in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, that director he should probably not talk. Yes, yeah, so no, what like, he thinks. That director's about. statement he shared beforehand was just full yeah. of such hyperbole and just just made it seem like it was more about him and he's the struggling genius. And it was very off-putting for me in watching the film. But just like, let me make up my own mind, dude. And then 
I feel like he's now in mo- multiple interviews sharing this is what it really means, and mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you're not you're not helping the cause here because <laughs> now you are feeling like Javier Bardem, <laughs> and now I'm like, <laughs> makes me just like the film even more because the House of Cards sort of falls for me of like, oh, this isn't some big creative sort of allegory that, or biblical allegory. This is a you know an intense you know, thing you were trying to get through, which whatever, you know, good on you. And I'm glad you get it out. And I'm glad someone paid a lot of money to let you get it out. Um, but anyway, to wrap up your question, yes, of course, I want to see more films like this, more original films that take chances. I think just the, the combination of the over explanations, the, the, the too many allegories, the sort of the, the, the fact that it really, it didn't go anywhere for me at, by the end are, are the reasons I just didn't like the film, but I absolutely want to make sure filmmakers like Darren can make more films like this. Um, we're definitely better for it. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. I say two things real quick? Uh, firstly, I, t- to your point, uh, Andy is, uh, when I was growing up in the nineties, uh, I used to, I used to love the fact that like a guy like Eddie Vedder would, when people are like, what does your song mean? He'd be like, I, I'm it. What does it mean to you? It doesn't matter what it means to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of artists could benefit from that point of view. It you're, you're making a piece of art and you're putting it out into the world. Just let it, have its own life for people and you don't have to, I feel like there are some artists that love to to explain it like to, to them it was so much fun to create all these these little hidden things and and uh, allegories and metaphors and things oh, no, it's so fun I want to explain it to everybody what I did and the <laughs> best and the best artists just go it's just interpret it how you interpret it and and I think that is always a better approach uh and secondly I want to say uh We've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time, and I'm glad you're here to express an alternate opinion. But I <laughs> hate for you to feel as if we're we are all. Uh, I hate for you to feel lonely in your, def- your defense of a opinion that seems to be shared by an awful lot of people about this. Oh movie, yeah, I don't so. I don't feel lonely judging by the cinema score. You, I think you guys are in the minority on this one. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad your opinion your opinion is here to be expressed. So I, we appreciate it. Yeah, and to that first point, you know. Uh, basically Darren Aronofsky is pulling an anti-David Lynch. I don't know if you guys have seen how David Mm -hmm. Lynch is handling press around Twin Peaks, Uh, Mm -hmm. but the the interviews that he gives are basically incomprehensible. I mean, like, he's not saying anything (laughs) at all useful. Uh, And the thing is, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, right? Like, people criticize Lynch for giving these, like, completely opaque, you know, incomprehensible interviews, and uh, and they criticize you know Darren Aronofsky for giving too many interviews. So, so I guess I feel like as a filmmaker, it's it's a diffi- like you're going to receive criticism no matter what. But I I agree with you guys that in this case it might have been a better situation to just let it be you know on its mm-hmm. own and and being interpreted in the world. Um, and I will just read briefly this statement from Paramount. They said, The movie is very audacious and brave. You're talking about a director at the top of his game and an actress at the top of her game. They made a movie that was intended to be bold. Everyone wants original filmmaking and everyone celebrates Netflix when they tell a story no one wants to tell. This is our version. We don't want all movies to be safe and it's okay if some people don't get it. End quote. Uh, I, I just think it's insane. Bravo. That this mm-hmm. movie is a wide release movie from a major studio like Paramount. That's just insane. Yeah. That's yeah, insane. It's insane. It's well, because it's the, uh, the Joker. In it. Right. Yeah. Sure. But still, but still, this is the, this is the studio That's that released uh, uh, Transformers earlier this year. You know, <laughs> whoever um, tweeted the Joker lighting the pile of money on fire. Like that's basically what it is. <laughs> exactly. That's all Aronofsky is. Exactly. All right, guys. And the marketing department sees Jennifer Lawrence above the title and that's all they need. To <laughs> that's know. all they need. Um, well, I'm a fan of the fact that this movie is out in theaters. I didn't like it quite as much as you. It was not quite as much of a life changing experience as it was for you, Jeff. Um, 
but I also didn't hate this as much as Andy did. So I'm kind of right in the middle. I'm glad it exists. I'm glad it's provoking all this conversation. Let's get the spoiler starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. What I think was great about this movie, for me, my experience, is as I was going through it, I, I kept thinking that what the allegory was like kept shifting. Now, ultimately, I think it's a, it's a biblical allegory. And when I read uh, Darren Aronofsky's uh, interviews, he's talking about, um, oh, yeah, Noah was meant to tell like a biblical story from the Jewish perspective. This is meant to tell the biblical story from the Christian perspective. Um, and so I, I ultimately think like that's how I read it as a biblical allegory. But it definitely changed many times. Like my reading of it changed many times throughout the course of the movie. And mm -hmm. one of the readings I had was something that I think you and Jeff could relate to uh, very much, uh, slightly more than me and Devendra. But it, this, this idea that it's about a creator who puts himself out there, right, and kind of shares his life with all these strangers, right? He's like letting all these people into his house and Jennifer Lawrence is freaking out about it and uh, she doesn't know what's happening and, and it, it, like her um, – her love is not enough. Like he needs the, the the adulation and the praise of all these strangers, and he's letting in all these strangers into his house. And it felt like the life of like an online creator that you're like, mm -hmm. or not not an online creator, just a creator in general, an artist in general. Like there's all these strangers yeah. who praise you and who whose praise you kind of feed off of, um, and that that takes a toll on the people that you love. Yeah. And uh, so I was just curious, like. Did did you at all read that like as a creator yourself, Andy, whose work reaches millions of people every week? Like, did you at all read that, and did that resonate for you at all? Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought. I mean, it's a fascinating point. I guess that's another reason I didn't like the film as much because I can relate to that. Like, I'm not going to complain about my lifestyle or that people stop me at comic cons and do that. Like, it's a very lucky life that I get to live. At the same time, it gets weird. Like, as someone who just was a, you know nerd in school and then suddenly build this brand that I get to host shows. And I'm sure Jeff, you can relate to get stopped anywhere is a weird thing. You have to sort of get used to And the waiter at the restaurants, like I'm a big fan. You quickly have to realize, okay, well I have to make sure I give you a good tip and please don't pay attention to what I'm ordering. Like there is just, <laughs> there's a weird world that happens of, for, of course, for people, you know, are all wanting Signor to be likes ketchup on his pancake. Exactly. <laughs> but there's, you know, and there's just a weird thing of you. So you quickly yeah. have to realize there are people out there who are paying attention to the things you do. And I can't even imagine the level that a Jennifer Lawrence or a Brad Pitt has to sort of deal with that. It's like, it, it blows my mind. And, and you, I do see sort of this, this challenge that I feel like celebrities have to go through. And I feel, I also can relate to sort of the challenge of the creator of what do you do and what you'll do for the art and how you get it out there. All of those things are, are always nagging at me and, and, you know, in a positive and negative way that I was dying to really enjoy and connect to this movie. And I felt like find a way for me to relate or show the struggle in, in a bigger or greater way. And I just felt like it was such a negative portrayal of this mm -hmm. guy Tavia Burdem as the god or whatever we're going to call him, the creator, the genius, just constantly just shitting on. I can curse, right? Yes, yes, yes definitely. Um, just constantly shitting on this one on this woman who's just there to support him, and it's like it was hard to relate and figure out what was cap. What 
why and she was doing it. And, and you're sort of watching this abused woman just be put through the ringer. It just was like two hours of how mm-hmm. how long can we torture Jennifer Lawrence before she cracks? <laughs> it well, it is like very is... torturous. And apparently yeah. uh, I'm, I'm told that like uh, Jennifer Lawrence's uh, brother was at like the, sc- the premiere screening and like had to leave uh, during the part when she was getting brutalized by the crowd. Mm-hmm. That, I, I, I don't know if that's like very I think difficult. I heard that rumor somewhere on some chat somewhere, but um, I don't know if it's true. It sounds like accurate news. I don't know if it's true, but yeah, I I don't know. It it sounds like it could be accurate. Like, that's a brutal scene, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. when she is ripped apart by the crowd. Um, I'm really glad you you brought it up this way, Dave, because I'm not, not, as has been made clear on this episode already, I'm not a religious person, and I, I did not connect with any kind of religious allegory to this movie at all, but I did, it's 100% why I love this movie, is because it felt intensely personal to me. And I have many friends who do what we do, do what I do, uh, whose wives also, or girlfriends or whatever, significant others, do similar things, uh, are in the public eye, do, uh, on Twitter, or you know, do, do shows of their own, whatever. That is not my situation. Uh, my wife doesn't really deal with Twitter. She doesn't, you know, she's engaged and she's very supportive of me and what I do, but she is just not a public facing person at all. And the, the, the dynamic of how our life has been, especially having had a child a year ago, I had insight into her perspective through this movie in a way that I've never had before. Now I would never hold myself up as the kind of character that uh, Javier Bardem is portrayed to be in this movie. I'm not this mad genius, right? But I never got what Andy, you seem to have gotten from him that he is this purely um, malevolent force in her life that he I got that he's he does love her. He does love her. Oh, see, I that's where you lose me. I mean, I feel like he's just gaslamping her the entire time. It, see, I, I, it, it really I, depends, though, guys, on like how you're viewing this movie too. Like, are you viewing this movie as an actual relationship between two real people, or are these people symbols of like everything he, he's trying to is, say? Nobody has names. Like, it's the movie is very clear about like what. You know, if you look at it as like, yeah, an actual husband and wife dynamic, um, I think it is a little unbelievable at certain points. But like you're saying, Jeff, like I you can relate to some of this. You could definitely relate to like just even having a party, guys, and like the way uh, with just movie depicts very well. This is how I feel at every house party I I, kind of hold. Um, But like, you know, the person who has to clean up the mess and clean up after everyone, that dynamic is quite there, too. She uh, literally like mm-hmm. made the house that the, yes. you, right. She yeah. literally makes the house right, which is which is in a lot of ways what my wife does. Like she mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. she holds the house together in a way that I do not, and it's a source of guilt that I have. Um, but also, I, I did look at it as a real relationship, but mm-hmm. a, one that is described in sort of ephemeral ways, right? Sure. Yeah. He he, I think he does love her. But like a lot of creative people, myself included, again, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to say things I'm probably going to regret here. But whatever. <laughs> um, 
there is an emptiness inside creative people if they're not creating right that yeah, I, yeah. that there's significant others always have to deal with uh i i've i've always told people like don't don't ever have a relationship with an actor because it's <laughs> they 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 uh they love themselves until they hate themselves and yeah. that's that is the dynamic that I think is happening with with Javier Bardem in this movie, right, is mm-hmm. when he is unable to create, there is no amount of love that can fill that hole. She is being genuine and he loves her back, right? He's, he does. He wants to be open and accessible. But there's this other part of him that needs to be fed that isn't being fed. And he is feels frustrated and stymied and mm-hmm. and can't connect to the other parts of his life because – he can't express his entire self, right? And then when the pendulum swings to the other side, he gets seduced into all of the bullshit that comes with that. And, you know, and there I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, <laughs> you know, getting, getting upset about an interaction I have on Twitter. And my wife, we're, you know, about to have dinner. My wife's like, what, what's the matter? There should be nothing the matter. I right. should be present here with you. I, 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 our life is great. I'm, I love you. You love me. And we love our kid. It's one, it, But because this external thing that shouldn't have any impact on my life has now affected me in this negative way. And I've been having this argument online about with this stranger because I care about what people think of me and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's like you're letting that, people into your house. You're letting exactly. strangers into your house. Basically. And you care about what they think more than what the person you care about most in the world thinks because you know because you know that they're going to be there. You know your wife is always going to be there. She She's the, the given, right? She's going to support you and love you. And so you know it. You don't have to pay attention to that. But, oh, this guy who is just coming in, oh, he likes me? Oh, he likes my work? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, I better pay attention to him yeah. a little bit. I have yeah. fans? There, oh, is, there is that scene when uh, – it, it's brilliant, the, the acting that goes on between them. There is mm-hmm. that scene when – uh, you know, he says like, "Oh, so and so likes my work," and then she says, "You know, I've always been a big admirer of your right. work." And she's like, and he he just like dismisses her. He says like, "Of course, of course you are, of course you are." Like you know, like right. as though it's not yeah, very important, right? See, because I I really actually I'm 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 blown away and appreciative of everything you're saying, Jeff, and I totally relate to a lot of things you're saying. My problem is I couldn't connect to those things in this film only because it starts with him sort of chewing up and spitting out a girl and then mm-hmm. birthing a new one, and mm-hmm. then it ends with him. Basically, using her to feed himself off of, and then smile yeah. as he starts again. So it's a cycle me, of creativity. It was the cycle no of, but it, yeah. but but these things you're connecting, of, and I, I'm not trying to judge you. Please, we're talking about the movie. <laughs> like I, I had trouble, <laughs> I had trouble connecting to him because I would have been far more interested in this film if he had actually shown some regret. Like if he had shown mm, right. some regret. In the loss of her, that's where I feel like it was missing. Of it didn't hit the mark at the end. Of like, what did we learn from this? We didn't. Yeah. It's secular, and it's that that really rubbed me the wrong way. Of this, yeah. like, there's nothing we can learn. Oh, he's just it's got to keep creating. And it's like I see how you can take that of like, oh, I don't want to be that. This is a mm-hmm. a warning story, but yes. I feel like I I didn't need to. The warning story was what I didn't want. I wanted him to to make a statement and a, and a, an opinion on. Is this right or wrong? Like, or like you already have a caution. More you, to it. Right, yeah. you, are, you already have cautionary tales in your own life. Like you don't need a movie to tell you to be careful exactly, of the, the, like, the lure of fame, right? And he's doing exactly. It's like the, the lure of fame is crazy, and I I can so relate to that Twitter thing, and I could 
talk for an hour on how Twitter is destroying civilization as we know it. Like we're so <laughs> inclined to just react so immediately and judge and tear down and not try and help one another. And, and just, it, it's a whole, the social media of the world, I think is such an interesting topic that it was sort of, he was definitely chipping at that a little bit for sure. Uh, as the mob sort of came through the house, mm-hmm. but I still never felt like he took a stance on like, I would have, I just, again, I would have loved to see Javier like just actually genuinely regret it and then begrudgingly start over again. Like that would have been a more interesting thing to me. Some of those later scenes does feel like he regrets what happens, but this is why I say like, yes, the parallels to fame and celebrity are the very obvious, like you can definitely see how the movie is trying to say that, especially with having two very, uh, you know, world famous stars in it. But I also think that's it's probably one of the least fulfilling parts of this movie, just because, yeah, it doesn't really come down in a way that's satisfying for that particular arc. Uh, But I do like that, you know, that's one way that you can read the movie amidst many, many other ways. And one thing I've really been thinking about, guys, is that uh, Darren Aronofsky thinks God is a dick. (laughs) I think that's really it. Like that. And Noah knows I mean, the same. It's hard to argue too. otherwise, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Noah in this movie too, like Bardem as the creator, as the like he is uh, cast as hit him, I believe, in the credits. Um, he is the creator. He is like you know he has the plan. He has to like make all these things happen. He doesn't have the ability to actually create. And this goes to like broader themes of like you know uh, male and female. Like men, we we help you know make life. We don't create life. We're just kind of the dicks who are there at the time, uh, whereas women have to deal with everything else. So it's it's dealing with those broader gender dynamics, but also the idea of like God versus Mother Nature. And I think Aronofsky very much sides with Mother Nature, right? Like God created this thing um, and also created humans and humans are really fucking up this whole earth like we we are like uninvited guests and we're just messing it up we're tear you know we sleep wherever we want we settle wherever we want we take what we want uh the world gives us warnings like hey guys that sink is not braced but we say (laughs) fuck it and we build on the coastlines and there are like several hurricanes coming at us right now like that that to me is the bigger thing like that broader idea of like his idea of like God, the creator versus like mother nature and what he really loves. And just looking at his films and like the religious iconography across all of them and his life right now, like he is very much a strict vegan. Like he is all about trying to like reduce his harm on the world. Uh, there's a great episode of uh, Anthony Bourdain's parts unknown that you should watch. Uh, Cause he goes, uh, Aronofsky goes to Madagascar with Bourdain and Bourdain has a lot of fun just like trolling him because the dude can't eat meat. So like, you know, (laughs) Bourdain's just here having like, you know, decently good stuff and Aronofsky has to try to survive. But that environment too, which is being destroyed, Madagascar really influenced like his, you know, what he um, wanted to portray for Noah as well. So that's my broader interpretation Mm. is God versus mother nature. And like, he is really wanting to side with mother nature, but you know, yeah, yeah, it's well, a cyclical process and it'll rebuild itself eventually. Let, let me drop some uh, Christian knowledge on you guys. Okay, so I was, raised, I was raised in a very conservative Christian church. And I think uh, one of the most interesting questions uh, in the Christian religion is we are taught that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, mm-hmm. and all-good. And so the question is, if, if God's all those things, why did he create the world? Why did right. he create mankind? Right? Because theoretically, th- imagine the world before mankind. Everything was awesome, right? It's like the yeah. beginning of this movie. It's just the two of these people in this house. It's God and his creation. Everything's lovely. It's all awesome. 
But here's like that, the thing. That thing where the, where the person gets a, a wish from a genie and they say, mm-hmm. I wish there was no suffering in the world. Right. And yep. So all of, all of humanity ceases to exist. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, imagine a world like a universe before mankind existed. Everything was perfect. God's just celebrating with all his angels. Everyone's super psyched to be around. It's mm-hmm. great. And ultimately, this movie, in positioning Javier Bardem as God, uh, posits that for God, that's just not enough. Like, he created the world so that people would worship him and yep. give him more glory. And, like, that was the best way to elevate God's glory. Uh, was not just, like, living amongst all these people who thought he was awesome, but living amongst flawed people, some of whom choose to honor him. Um, mm-hmm. And... I, I just thought that was really interesting because, yeah, the, the implication, as you said, Devendra, is that God is kind of a dick. It, it is that there is this kind of egotistical nature to God um, because everything being perfect and idyllic wasn't enough. He had to welcome all these humans into his house uh, who really, you know, to be honest, fucked things up really badly. And, yeah. and, but that was necessary because God just needed that so much. And at least I'm speaking for the movie here. I'm not speaking like mm-hmm. reality or whatever. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was the most fascinating part for me. But to, Andy, to a point that you made earlier, I think that uh, something that I'm turning over in my head, I haven't made a decision about it yet, but like one thing that kind of makes the movie less interesting to me is that the realism of the movie completely like fades away you know in the yeah. second half of the movie like yes. imagine yeah. if this was a movie where it was told straight where like everything that happened in the movie could have theoretically happened in real life you know i wonder where the drama of the movie worked apart from any allegorical or symbolic representations which i don't think it really does in this movie um i i wonder if it would have been a better movie i think of like um like Oh Brother Where Art Thou or something, you know, where that movie is mm-hmm. based on another text, the um, the Odyssey, right? Uh, but it takes like very big liberties with with the Odyssey. You still recognize characters like the Cyclops from Oh Brother Where Art Thou, but it is not a one to one retelling of the Odyssey in a different setting. And uh, I, I feel like you know, obviously that movie is much more enjoyable, a much different movie, and it's you know, much different style. But that was one of my disappointments with this movie is it. I, I felt I feel like it's kind of easy to get. Um, a kind of reaction out of people if you're just throwing batshit insane stuff at them, which is what the right, second yeah. half of this movie does, it's much yeah. harder to get that reaction when you're trying to work within a reality that you've set forward. Um, yeah, so, and to, to jump mm-hmm. on that, it's like, to me it's like the, the moment where I just walked out is where they finally they show you that baby. They show you the baby in the face and the, oh, and you just know that baby's going to die. And then yeah. they cut to that scene and it's like as a father and just as going through that it's like i what if you're gonna kill a baby you really got to have a reason for killing that baby and i just i get it that was sort of the crux for her to sort of to go nuclear at that point and finally fight back but it just it for what for what point like why do we why do you want to put the audience through that you've, you've put them through plenty it's just it started getting just more and more intense for the sake of it's, it's like saying the f-word like it's so easy to say the f-word and get the shock value but like of course we're going to get disturbed and bothered when you murder a baby on screen, like for mm-hmm. no reason. And, and and that's where the movie sort of soured on me. I'm just like, okay, great. What, what are you trying to, what, where are we going with this is really still where I'm stuck. I mean, did that scene for you? And I'm curious, Jeff, like for you, I imagine, was that just so dramatic that that just continued well, to make you feel, uh, you know, the way you did? Well, uh, well. First of all, I have never gotten uh, more tweets uh, from from listeners 
before our episode came out saying, Jeff, don't go see mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you have a new yeah, a new baby. Right, right. Uh, and I had already seen, I'd gone to the press screening, so I'd already seen it beforehand. <laughs> um, I, I take issue, I'll get around, I'm going to get around to addressing this specific scene in this way. I take a little issue with uh, Devinder with, with you sort of painting with a broad brush of it, of it sort of uh, this interpretation being sort of just about fame, because that, that is certainly an element of it. But I hope that what I've conveyed, conveyed that I got from the interpretation that landed most soundly on me is not necessarily about fame per se. No, no, no. I'm not talking about yours. I'm talking okay. about that particular interpretation. You are like dealing more with the gender dynamic that the movie brings up, which I think is very important too. Like I, yeah, keep going, but I'll, I'll add to that. Yeah, no, I, I def- definitely the gender dynamic and, and the roles that, that, that people lead in relationships, but also in this, this sense of, this new public life that we all lead. And, and that moment with the baby to me mm-hmm. was the ultimate expression of presenting your darlings to strangers. Put it on Instagramming your kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is what I do, right? I do that. I literally do that. And, but anybody, I mean, I, I have, you know, lots of, followers but anybody that's on facebook that like puts up their picture of their kid or their dog or their wife or themselves and just say like this yeah get those likes get, get those give likes me a in like there. right and what ultimately only the only thing that it can do is not, a not be enough and b tear that precious thing to shreds mm-hmm. and the people in our lives that uh, for me that moment was this woman who's not interested in those things, who sacrificed the most to make this this baby come into the world, who cares about it, who, who nuzzles it. One moment of her, uh, you know, falling asleep results in it being it, it being presented to strangers against her will, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I did not get the fact that Javier Bardem felt excuse me felt any ill will toward her or the child. He's there. He's present. He's waiting. He's yeah. got to give it, the people what they want. But, but yeah, exactly. But also like in that, well, I love, he's, come on. He screams at her. He's waiting I love for her to scene, give up. Right. But what, when she, when, he, when she is resilient and says, no, his response is I'm going to get this chair and I'm going to, I'm going to be here. I'm just going to be here. And he's not violent with her. He's not, there's he's, no, Oh, come on. He's saying, I'm going to wait for you to, to fall asleep. Yeah, I guess, but I, I, I don't know. I didn't, didn't, well, I didn't he, get he, he, here's, here, yeah, I, I think where I come down on Andy's side is I, I think Bardem is presented as rather monstrous in the film. But to, on Jeff's side, I come down as many of the actions of an artist slash creator are often uh, like viewed from the outside objectively pretty monstrous. You know, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like you're saying, Jeff, like he did love her, even though in the movie you don't really see any evidence of that. But mm-hmm. Jeff, you having been in a similar situation, and some of us have been in similar situations, like we understand that you can love someone and still, like from the outside, be viewed as being pretty monstrous to them because mm-hmm. of this addiction to creation or this addiction to fame. Um, it is a very interesting dichotomy to hold within one person, uh, and I think you're you're saying that you saw that in Javier Bardem's character, right, Jeff? Yeah, and and I and I fear that. 
<laughs> people are going to read into my personal life in a, in a, in a way I don't <laughs> intend, but I, I, I love, we have a great relationship, but you, there are, there have been those relationships in my life that I've had with significant others that aren't, aren't healthy in, in because of that, or even despite how much you care about one another, there's this other thing that you put them through and that thing is is doesn't mean you love them less. It, it just means that that's also part of you, and right. you, you feel yeah. guilty even as you're doing it to them, you know. And like, and 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 yes, I maybe I was projecting a lot of shit that this movie, but I mean, like, that's what good art does, right? And that final moment where he plucks her heart from her chest and she relinquishes it, I didn't find that to be an act of malice either, like. That's just what he does. He 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 takes people and he uses them. And for him, that's the most divine act of love he could do. And for her too, she like lets him do that and sort of willfully understands that that's what has to happen right now. I don't know. There's a a beauty to it in a dark way. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like the cycle of every creative relationship, right? And I I don't want to read too much into Aronofsky's life because I you know we know he's dated a whole bunch of famous people, uh, and was married to one for a while too. So this, like that's, that's this all is that reading qu- is there. Random question, by the way. Opening shot of the movie. Man. I thought it, I thought it was Rachel Weisz, uh yeah. that was standing in the fire, which would make the movie incredibly fucked up in my opinion. Oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah. But I could not find i i've like searched every source i could and could not yeah. find the name of that person in that opening shot um so, but and it, it is a different person at the end too right yeah it's a different so there's three women that he's going through the okay. cycle I, with, look right? there's yeah. no but that's not convenient that there's no way that was an accident that even if it's not her oh it yeah looked like her it, it looked like I, her yeah. which think, which yeah. makes it a pretty fucked up movie because the implication is that he's it's an apology? Because the implication here is he's going to churn through Jennifer Lawrence at some point in the next couple of years. <laughs> exactly. Have you seen them in interviews? I don't know. Um, <laughs> that, that implication is certainly there. Yeah, it's, it's like, them. dude, get, Je- get yeah. J-Law out of that situation as soon hey, as possible. J- you know, J-Law is her own woman. She will. She, she's doing her thing. This movie is a cry for help. This movie is a cry for help. This is also how I feel watching uh, Von Trier and uh, what's her face? like um, yeah. Charlotte Gainsbourg. The, Charlotte Gamesburg, like yeah. it, between all the movies they've done. Yeah. yeah. Andy, what were we going to say? Yeah, I, I, I didn't, well, the other opening shot just felt a little creepily too of just like the scene yeah. insert and we're just staring at her and just like, it just, it all, it all felt a little creepy. Like I, I, I that was another, it was off putting to start and then I sort of, they, they move on and I let it go, but there, I, I don't want to judge Darren or what's going on, but it just, there mm-hmm. was a little bit of like, it, it felt like airing dirty laundry of just like, well, I don't I, know what I got. It almost felt like a mea culpa, thing. though. I, like it did feel like this. Yeah. This is kind of what I do. I'm sorry, everybody who loves me. Here's like, why I don't. Here's why I don't think. Here's why I think the movie. View, it's not a sympathetic view of Javier Bardem's character. Well, here's why I think the movie is incredibly frustrating and kind mm-hmm. of disingenuous. Is yeah, that would be really interesting if he was using the movie as a mea culpa, as a confession, as an insight into his private world. But then he hands out this statement at the, at the <laughs> <Yeah>. screening that's like, <laughs> this movie is about climate change, you know? 
And it was about a million things if you read that statement. Right. Yeah. But it just it just feels I have a little it in bit in front of me if you guys want me to read it. <laughs> uh maybe we can post some of it online, but I mean, um, guys, we we have talked about movies can be several things at once. So right. if he says it's one thing that doesn't mean like <laughs> he didn't, you know, also have other meanings in there. That's some enough. of it is yeah, One, we were just talking about that. Like, you don't have to describe everything just because he gave us he he could be he could be giving us a fake guys. He could be like head faking us. It's like, oh, make them think it's one thing, uh, even though I think it is also. Well, about, one of my uh, favorite things I've ever read of uh, of Quentin Tarantino uh, mm-hmm. when he in his his discussion of film criticism and his position. I'm sure you guys have heard this. His position is that uh, film criticism exists in a place where. You can make inferences about what a film is or what a filmmaker put in its in its movie, and it whether the filmmaker intended that, had it yep. in their head at all or not, is irrelevant. It is it has no bearing mm-hmm. on because it's a piece of art that is in the world for interpretation, and That's any how it inter- works. Any interpretation is valid based mm-hmm. on you know your expression of it, your ability to. To, if you can uh, back it up, right? You know, so yeah. and I, th- I find that very fascinating. Like even even if a, a filmmaker did not intend that at all, a, if a film critic makes a case for it, it's it's a worthy case. Yeah. Guys, I want to I want to wrap this up by bringing it back to uh, where where all great discussions end, and that is the works of Shel Silverstein. Um, because when that, that where the sidewalk ends, when that nice nice Jeff, when that final scene happens. And he says, uh, she says, I have nothing left to give. Uh, you know, the first thought I had was that is a direct reference to Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree. Did you guys mm-hmm. yeah. catch that? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and later on in one of his story. many – sorry, go, go ahead, Andy. <laughs> a much better story. <laughs> later on uh, in an interview, well in one of his many interviews that we are giving D- Darren Aronofsky a difficult time for, he acknowledges that that scene was inspired by The Giving Tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, you know, for those who don't know, The Giving Tree, it's a, it's a very short book about uh, this tree that gives this child everything that he wants, um, fruit and branches for his house and all that stuff. And then at the end of its life, the tree has nothing left to give except a place to sit on, which is basically its stump. Uh, and it ends in this very kind of bittersweet moment where, like, the, this tree has given everything it can give, but it is happy. In doing that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. See, I, but I, did you feel like she was happy at the end? You know, not that, that's so where much. I'm struggling. Like that story, <laughs> has, the, that the that shell service story, <laughs> that story is like such a powerful story because she the tree does give it all away, but this tree is still there, and then the man, the the old man learns the lesson. Like even in that short story, that it's sort of depressing in a way, but it's like it's very telling and it's very revealing and it makes you think twice. Like. I didn't get that with this film. Like, I just, I still don't understand where Darren's take is. Was she happy? Was he a monster? I, I, I give it all the credit in the world for having it make this discussion. And I do want to give credit to Paramount for releasing the film and not burying it somewhere or, and, and, and actually letting him take a chance with this. Like, we, we need more films like this for sure. Um, but it just didn't work for me. It, just, it, it really missed the mark and made me sad and not in an introspective way, which it sounds like it did for Jeff, which I'm glad it's doing for some. Um, but yeah, I just, I, you, you even mentioning up the giving tree makes me almost more upset because I'm like, <laughs> how did Shel Shoverstein do it, do it so easily and better? And then Darren couldn't at least wrap a bow at the end to sort of help us really understand where, what the take was. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the fact that he feels the need to get out there and explain himself uh, is kind of an indication that a lot of people just didn't get what he's trying to say. And should art, you know, like if, if a lot of people, if a huge percentage of people who watch your work don't get it, you know, is that just challenging work or is it just work that didn't do the job? But, um, but keep in mind, he's not just doing it after the fact. He tried to do it before the fact, right? too. Right. That he's is like, weird. I'm going to try. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that is very odd. That is very odd. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really glad we've, we have we seem to have had the mm-hmm. full spectrum of opinions of this movie on, <laughs> on this show. Um, yeah, but we've gone this far, by the way. We haven't mentioned Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. And I just want to say yeah. love them both. Tremendous. And also Michelle Pfeiffer in particular. Like, she is full on, like, bringing back her 90s Catwoman vibe yeah, she was in this great. movie. They, they she both is tremendous. Great. Yeah, and like, she kind of uh, represents, again, reading this is a biblical al- <laughs> Reading this is a biblical allegory, right? Like, the scene where Ed Harris is, like, vomiting. Like, that's him. Yeah. That's, like, God making uh, Eve from his rib. That's why his rib's all effed up. And then Eve has typically been depicted as, like, this conniving character in, in you know in in the bible and like that's kind of what she was depicted as in the movie yeah um, there's always some sort of temptress to you right yeah, yeah 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 exactly um, D- david help me out the who did kirsten wig play in the bible you know that's a good question <laughs> that a lot of there's also a lot of questions about like My, what the bible's is, pr agent what is yeah i mean there there were many her uh her subject line or her uh, her credit in the uh movie credits is herald uh, and oh, I've yeah. read I've read interviews with um, Darren Aronofsky where he basically like Harold uh, that's kind of a biblical term right and like that's where the <laughs> explanation has ended so I don't know that she represents someone directly uh, because she does end up executing people like shortly after. Uh, hey man, publicists gotta get shit done. Yeah, that's okay. true. That's true. There's also true. a lot of questions about like what the yellow kind of substance that uh-huh. she drinks is. Like I, I've not seen anyone satisfactorily explain. What that yellow I thought substance it was emergency. Is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> emergency, like the vitamin C stuff. You mean, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but then you know, like he's also Aronofsky's also like occasionally like frustratingly literal. I find, for instance, mm-hmm. when she's yeah. like touching the house, like you yep. actually see the house heart beating. You know what I mean? And it's like I don't know if we actually need to see an actual <laughs> heart beating. You know, I think we already get it. Uh, but but then again, you know, Aronofsky has never been known for his subtlety in his previous movies, right? So uh, yeah. he is, like you said, Devinger, He does not give a fuck what people think. He's just going to do his own thing, and it is a thing to behold. It is a thing to behold. Yeah. Um, and th- there are some directors that do that, and what they produce is incomprehensible and just like hard to attach yourself to. And I think he's done a good job between like, you know, honestly, Requiem for a Dream is a movie that I have a hard time watching right now. Like, I think that movie was really interesting in a specific time, but yes. right now has not aged well. But Pi and, uh, you know, The Fountain and The Wrestler, like when this guy makes it work, it really works well. I want to mention a couple of other quote unquote Easter eggs for people who don't know about uh, about the Bible. Uh, one of it them is the, it puts the Easter in Easter egg. That's right. Um, <laughs> one of them is uh, like the Ash Wednesday reference, like with mm-hmm. people swipe like uh, smudging their foreheads with ink as religion is being formed. Yeah, right. As religion house. is being formed. Um, obviously, the scene where they rip the baby apart and start eating it, I think, is a yes. reference to uh, Noah's Ark. No, I'm just joking. It's a reference to <laughs> communion. Uh, where which, if, you think, if you think about it, communion yeah. is a pretty, pretty fucked, fucked up. up practice uh, yeah. in oh, yeah. Catholicism and Christianity. We're all cannibals. Yeah, yeah. Like the idea is that you're in, in Catholicism. I believe they believe in 
transubstantiation, I think, is the, the yes. idea that you're actually eat, like that the bread or the the cracker physically becomes uh, the flesh of Jesus, then that you're eating it. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought it was it was you know like you're you're seeing it di- displayed in all of its true horror in in this movie, and also um, it is a uh, a common myth or a common like legend folklore whatever that God has actually created the world many times like he's created it and destroyed it many mm-hmm. many times and I, I, you know, that's another thing that the beginning and end of this movie also uh, kind of in you know gestures towards is this idea that maybe this is like the 50th time that the 50th time that God has created earth and we're, we're living on it or something like that so uh, I thought there were a lot of nice little kind of Easter eggs in there, but yeah, I, the movie is also extremely frustrating. I'm right between you guys. Jeff, yeah. I, th- I found it was profoundly moving experience. Um, Andy, a profoundly frustrating experience as well. So, um, <laughs> but th- That's good art, right? Moving and frustrating, I think. Indeed. I'd rather watch that than Transformers. All there right. You You're, You're the here. best recommendation ever uh, yeah. from Andy here. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Andy. Uh, I just want to mention, uh, for those who are listening right now, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Uh, Our music comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper from Kyle Hillinger. Uh, Andy, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Yeah, go to YouTube and look up Screen Junkies or Screen Junkies News, our two channels, and check out Honest Trailers. That's what most people know us for. And uh, you can find me at Andy Signor on all the socials. Uh, what is the Honest Trailer this week, by the way? Uh, Wonder Woman. Mm. That's yeah. a tough one. Oh, nice. boy. Looking forward uh, to checking Wonder that Woman. out. Uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, check it. I watch Honest Trailers every week. Huge fan. Jeff Kanata, where can I find more of your work on the internet and this week? Hey, we, we, you weren't here. We talked about the Emmys. You went to the Emmys, right, Andy? I did. Were you, you we were, were nominated, nominated for an nominated. Emmy, Nominated. Right? Honest Trailers. <laughs> it's not second year in a row we were nominated. I Amazing. I got to go with our, our date, Michael Bolton, who was a uh, producer on the show this year. It's been, it was uh, unreal. Amazing. Congratulations. Amazing. Congrats on the nomination. That's awesome. How about you, uh, Jeff Kanata? Where can people find more of your work on the internet? On Twitter, at Jeff Kanata, with two N's and one T, and I have several other shows, especially if you like video games. I have a daily video game show, only 10 minutes a day, keeps you up to date. It's real quick. It's called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find it on Anchor at anchor.fm slash NLB or on uh, Google Play or iTunes. I also have a weekly video game show called DLC, and you can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra? You can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at engadget.com. Find all my stuff at davechen.net. I'm on Twitter at davechensky. That's davechensky. Next week, we'll be reviewing Kingsman 2, The Golden Circle. Uh, looking forward to talking with you guys about that movie. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We'll see you next week. So, you know, tough, t- you know, uh, what is it? What's the phrase? Tough titties? No, I don't want to say that. <laughs> t- tough that, something. That, that, t- that's tough, what you um, want to say, but you want to be nice about it. So, What is it? <laughs> tough luck? Is it tough luck? Tough luck. Sure.
Anyway, that a thing that's a thing people say. That's a thing. What do humans say? <laughs> Bleep blorp. It's like we broke your programming. <laughs> anyway, tough luck, but this one comes in from Mahesh K. Uh, Mahesh K writes in. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First-time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winkle. Technician James Wiggington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.